Students Podcast. My name is JT Stead, and I'm your host. I'm also the student and outreach pastor here at Redeemer Church. And what you're about to listen to was a sermon that was preached at our Wednesday night gathering from 6.30 to 8.30 with our students. So I hope that this sermon is encouraging and a blessing to you today. Thanks for listening. So in our recording of uh, the sermon last night, we uh, didn't get have the first part of the sermon recorded. And so um, I'm going to read the passage that I preached out of here um, just to give you the context. Um, and then I'll play the audio from tonight. So we were in Daniel chapter 9. Daniel chapter 9 is uh, the context is Daniel is in exile. The exile is coming to an end. He reads this in Jeremiah that Babylon has been taken over by the Medo-Persian Empire. So he knows God's going to fulfill his promise soon. But he is crying out to the Lord, making confession um, for the sin, not only his sin, but the sin of the people because they have not entreated the favor of, of the Lord. And so he makes this amazing confession um, of prayer. Um, and so my title for the sermon is Learning to Pray. Two weeks ago, we looked at what inspired Daniel to pray. You could listen to that last sermon. And so we're going to look at the content of Daniel's prayer. Let's start in verse 3 of Daniel chapter 9. He says, Then I turned my face to the Lord God, seeking him by prayer and pleas for mercy, with fasting and sackcloth and ashes. I prayed to the Lord my God and made confession, saying, O Lord, the great and awesome God, who keeps covenant steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commandments. We have sinned and done wrong and acted wickedly and rebelled, turning aside from your commandments and rules. We have not listened to your servants, the prophets, who spoke in your name to our kings and our princes and our fathers and to all the people of the land. To you, O Lord, belongs righteousness, but to us open shame. As at this day, to the men of Judah, to the inhabitants of Jerusalem, and to all Israel, those who are near and those who are far away, in all the lands to which you have driven them, because of the treachery that they have committed against you, to us, O Lord, belongs open shame, to our kings, to our princes, and to our fathers, because we have sinned against you. To the Lord our God belong mercy and forgiveness, for we have rebelled against him, and have not obeyed the voice of the Lord our God by walking in his laws, which he set before us by his servants, the prophets. All of Israel has transgressed your law and turned aside, refusing to obey your voice. And the curse and oath that are written in the law of Moses, the servant of God, have been poured out upon us, because we have sinned against him. He has confirmed his words, which he spoke against us and against our rulers, who ruled us by bringing upon a great calamity. For under the whole heaven there has been nothing, anything like what has been done against Jerusalem. As it is written in the law of Moses, all, that, all this calamity has come upon us, yet we have not entreated the favor of the Lord our God, turning from our iniquities and gaining insight by your truth. Therefore, the Lord has kept ready the calamity and has brought it upon us. For the Lord our God is righteous in all the works that he has done, and we have not obeyed his voice. And now, O Lord, our God, who brought your people out of the land of Egypt with a mighty hand and have made a name for yourself as at this day, we have sinned, we have done wickedly. Verse 16, O Lord, according to all your righteous acts, let your anger and your wrath turn away from your city, Jerusalem, your holy hill, because of our sins and for the iniquities of our fathers. Jerusalem and your people have become a byword among all who are around us. 
Now therefore, O our God, listen to the prayer of your servant and to the pleas for mercy. And for your own sake, O Lord, make your face to shine upon your sanctuary, which is desolate. O my God, incline your ear and hear, open your eyes and see our desolations in the city that is called by your name. For we do not present our pleas before you because of our righteousness, but because of your great mercy. O Lord, hear. O Lord, forgive. O Lord, pay attention and act. Delay not for your own sake. O my God, because your city and your people are called by your name. At the beginning of the sermon, which I'm about to play, I start off with an illustration of um, of some videos that went viral this summer of um, these religious gatherings, is what I call them, of a bunch of um, protesters, um, white protesters, bowing before um, activists um, of other ethnicities or minority ethnicities, and they are... Um, crying and pleading and confessing their inherent sin of white guilt, of whiteness, or what they call white, this idea of white privilege and um, white guilt and all, all, all this stuff. And the whole point that I'm trying to make at the beginning of the sermon, which you're, um, you're going to land right in the middle of this illustration, is that people, that confession of sin, that the feeling of guilt is natural to all people. So here's the sermon. You're jumping right in the middle of that application uh, of that uh, illustration. Here we go. Thanks so much for listening. Oppressors or white people would kneel before some activists and literally cry out and confess their sin of inherent racism or terms that they use like white privilege or white guilt or whiteness. And if you watch these videos, you will see people crying. You'll see them pleading. You'll see them praising, adoring. It's crazy. It's, it's this weird religious thing that's going on in our culture right now. And I don't have time to deconstruct all the philosophical religious arguments that are going on. The point that I want to make to you is that confession or feeling guilt and shame is something that all people in all places all over the world feel and know and and they want to confess because they want to get the weight off of them. Why? Because they're made in God's image. And God has put his law upon their heart. They know right from wrong. They know that they need forgiveness, but they don't know where to run to. They run to their friends. They run to pop culture. They run and they post a, an Instagram or a Facebook post. This is what I'm, I repent of, right? But they still can't cleanse themselves of it. And it's because they're finding forgiveness and cleansing in all the wrong places. And here in this text, we see Daniel making a confession in all the right places to the right person, which is God, his creator, his owner, the only one that can forgive and cleanse us of sin. And so the Bible's answer in Daniel chapter 9 is that prayer is the vehicle, the means by which we confess our sins to the Lord. And chapter 9 was written to give God's people a model of prayer of how to confess their sins and why they should confess their sins and, and what to confess and then see how God answers. And he does. And if you want to know how to pray or what to pray, the sermon is for you. And so we're going to look at four components. And I already read it. But the first component of Daniel's prayer is adoration 
or praise, worship. I'm going to use the word adoration. And we see this in verse four. The very thing that Daniel starts out with, with all the stress, you think of all the stress, all the guilt and shame. The, he wants to get to his confession. He wants, you know, you know how this is. When you get praying, you have a request, you have a need, and you want to get right down to it, right? You want to get right after it in prayer, maybe. Or you feel guilty, you want to get right into confessing. But what Daniel does is he does it very briefly. He starts off with praise and adoration. He addresses or takes time to notice the very person who he is talking to. How many of you write birthday cards? Do you just start writing or do you say, dear so-and-so, you have an address and then you put your name at, you know, you know who you're writing to, you send in the letter, you put their name on it, you put their address, right? You know exactly who you're writing to and why you're writing. Well, in the same way, in prayer, we need to understand who it is that we are praying to. And look who it is that Daniel's praying to. Verse four, oh Lord the great and awesome God. I think there is a trembling there in, in Daniel, especially when you are coming to bring your sin to the Lord. The great and awesome God. But what gives him boldness is this next line. He says, who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commandments. Daniel echoes Deuteronomy 7, 9. Know therefore that the Lord your God is God, the faithful God who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commandments to the thousand generations. And so what we learn here from Daniel, what the, one theologian said is Daniel teaches us how to adore and to rejoice over God, even if it's brief, even if it's before we get to the, the request that we have or the confession, he still takes time to address and rejoice God and adore God for who he is. We could do this in our prayer, despite our circumstances, despite what's on our mind, just to stop and take time to think and ponder and address God. Just to think like when you pray in faith, you are talking to the living God who created you. The fact that you even have access to this God is, is, is incredible. Prayer is the continuation of the conversation that God started with us in his word, through his word. God communicated to us here. He's like, hey, I want to have a conversation. Prayer is, you know, you've been in a conversation where he's trying to ask questions, just not responding, nothing, right? You're like, this is kind of awkward. Well, God has written a book. Prayer is us communing back with God according to God's word. We should take time to address God, to adore him, to, to think of who we're speaking to. And, and this is a funny illustration. And I'm so guilty of this. Being a pastor at a, at a fairly large church here, it is embarrassing. And I hope that I haven't actually done this to you. But there's been multiple times over the last four years of being here, three, however long it's been, uh, where people have come up to me and Caitlin or me and they just start having a conversation. We're so thankful or whatever it is. Or, you know, uh, maybe they start just telling how they've been praying for us or something that we did. And they're having this full on conversation. I'm just trying to figure out who is this person? 
I don't know who this person is, but they know me, you know? It's like, of course they do. I'm, I'm doing the announcements. It's not fair sometimes. So I, I've had to, I've had to uh, come up with ways of like, hey, remind me, you know, I just admit, like, remind me. If you're ever in this situation, just say, hey, man, I, I try to remember a lot of names. That's usually what I use with you guys. Uh, I'll say, hey, there's a lot of students here. Remind me what your name is, and, and I hope you're not offended if I ever do that to you, okay? Don't take it offensively. But you know what that's like. You're in a conversation with someone you're like, I don't know who this person is, right? And it's kind of awkward, right? When you pray, have you forgotten who it is you're talking to? Simple enough, right? And if maybe, and I've had trouble with this in my prayer, like, what does it look like to praise God in my, in my prayer life? Well, two, two basic, simple things that you can do. One is Pray scripture, find scripture. Psalms are a great way to start that praise God, adore God, that bring glory to God in, in, in the psalm and pray that back to the Lord. Work on adoring Christ, worshiping him in your prayer life. Second, you should probably read, uh, some of you are readers, some of you are not. But even if you're not a reader, yearly, you should pick up a book on the attributes of God doesn't have to be big. There's some small ones. And you should study them. You should get to know who God is. And I promise you, it will inform the way that you think. It will, it will bless your prayer life. It will enrich in it. Um, you'll come to treasure Christ more and adore him more. I mean, think of Daniel uses two attributes, the great and awesome God. Actually, three, the covenant-keeping God. Four, steadfast love. I'm counting right now, right? This, these four things, and we'll count more throughout here. He, all throughout this prayer, he's addressing God according to his characteristics. So that's just a practical thing. Let's start off with adoring God. Second, the second thing in this prayer, second component is confession. It's the biggest component here, but it's confession. It's a confession. This prayer of Daniel is a sad one. I would say it's pretty much on par with uh, David's prayer in Psalm 51. After David, you, you know the story, right? When David commits adultery with Bathsheba. Daniel here is making a confession. It's filled with sorrow and anguish, guilt and shame. Why? Because Daniel is awash in the midst of not only his own sin, but the sin of God's people, his fellow brothers and sisters. And that's a good practical thing. I I think when was the last time you sat and were sorrowful over a brother or sister's sin and you cried out and prayed for them? But here we see D- uh, Daniel doing just that. And I think the best way we could analyze his confession, what true biblical confession of sin looks like, is just to walk through the text again, okay? So let's keep our eyes on the text and let's just walk through this. Uh, and we could ask the question, is this how we confess our sin? <laughs> here we go. Verse 5, I'm going to specifically be looking at all the words that describe the sin. Verse 5, we have sinned. We have, we have sinned. Notice the we. He's talking about himself and Israel. We have sinned against you, O Lord, and done wrong and acted wickedly and rebelled. 
So we've sinned, we've acted wrong, wickedly, and we have now turned aside from committing your rules. Like a rebellious child who is given instructions by a parent, teacher, coach, and you totally ignore them, and you just do your own thing. Well, in the same way, that is what we have done, Daniel is saying. Verse 6, we have not listened We've shut our ears off to you. We, we have heard, but we don't care. In other words, God's prophets, you sent your prophets to speak your word, to warn us, to tell us of a great salvation that is coming, a great Messiah. Yet we shut our ears. We have not listened. We don't want to listen. Verse seven, to us belong open shame. To you, O Lord, belongs righteousness, but to us open shame. Why? For our treachery, our treachery in verse 7, that we, that they have committed against you. All of, sinner, all of Israel belong shame, verse 8. We have sinned, verse 9, we have rebelled. Verse 10, we have not obeyed the voice of God. Verse 11, all of Israel has transgressed your law. We've refused to obey. <laughs> it's like Daniel is exhausting the Hebrew language in order to describe how wicked their sin is. Verse 11. All of Israel has transgressed your law and turned aside, refusing to obey your voice. And the curse, key word there, key theme and the curse and oath that are written in the law of Moses, the servant of God, have been poured out upon us because we have sinned against him. A few things here I think we should consider. High school students, Redeemer, high school students here. The first glaring thing that just sticks out to me is, do we take sin this seriously? A light view of sin shows a light view of God's grace. And I like to think that we are a ministry that emphasizes God's grace. Man. If I could be honest, give an honest critique of some of you, myself, I get worried that in a church that prizes biblical doctrine, Sound doctrine, theology, knowing the truth. We understand that salvation is by grace alone and through faith alone and Christ alone. But I get worried that you don't see just truly how wicked your sin is when you sin against the Lord. I think it's so easy for me. I, like, I understand grace and forgiveness. And so I sometimes just sweep my sin under the rug like it's not a big deal. <laughs> yeah, he'll just forgive me. But to, you see, Daniel, he's a believer. He, he loves God. He's in covenant with God. Yet, he is so mournful and sorrowful and anxious in spirit of his own sin. I think that that should, that should correlate with some of us. I think we should have the, think of it the same way, see it the same way. And I think the more that you grow in grace, the more that you understand Christ and who he is and what he's done for, for you, you are going to see your own sin even more. 
Daniel is brutally honest with the Lord. And so should you be in prayer. Look, God is all-knowing. He already sees the darkest corners of every thought, of everything you've ever done. So don't be like a Jonah in your prayer life and try to hide it and run. Confess it. Be brutally honest with the Lord. He already sees it. Acknowledge it. So much of our confession of sin is worldly. It's what Paul calls worldly grief. We're sorrowful for the wrong reasons. We're we're sad, and so we confess because of the fear of the punishment. Or we're sad and we confess our sin because of what maybe how the sin has made us look. Or we're sad and so we confess to gain approval from someone, maybe a leader or a parent, just to make sure that they know that you're apologetic. Or it's all the wrong reasons. It's not heartfelt. True confession stems from seeing your sin for what it is and what God defines it as. And Daniel does a great job. It's wickedness. It's treachery. It's rebellion. It's refusal to obey. It's shutting off our ears. It's sin. And I suggest Daniel 9 just being a template of how we confess our sin. Confession is one of the ingredients of true repentance. And where there is no confession, there is no repentance. You see, now the third section kind of flows out of this. um, And that is what we see in the text in verses 12 through 15 is that Daniel then recognize or gives recognition of God's just judgment for sin. He doesn't blame God. So there's a recognition of God's just judgment for sin. He doesn't blame God. He says, to you belongs righteousness, forgiveness, but to us open shame. And all of these things, this exile has come upon us because of our own sin. Not because you are cruel, God, but because of our own sin. We have been exiled. We have been cut off. We have been cursed. God's curse in verse 11. There's a talk about that. Just like Adam, when Adam sinned against God, what happened? He was exiled out of the promise, or out of, sorry, out of the garden of Eden. When Israel is given the covenant by God, they sin against him. They break the covenant. They are exiled out of the land. They're sent to Babylon. When sinners sin against God, they are cut off from God. They are exiled. Sin breaches the relationship. Galatians 3.10 says, For all who rely on works of the law are under a curse. For it is written, Cursed be everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law to do them. And Daniel recognizes this is what has happened. But do God's people recognize? This is the question. Do God's people recognize? And look at verse 13. I think this is why Daniel is so, he's mourning, fasting, Look at verse 13. Daniel gets it, but do God's people get it? It says, as it is written in the law of Moses, all these things are being fulfilled. All this calamity has come upon us because of our own sin. Yet, even in spite of, even even despite that, even, even though that has all happened, we, the people of Israel, have not entreated the favor of the Lord. They have not turned from their iniquities and gained insight by your truth. God's judgment was to restore them. It was meant to restore them. 
Yet Israel, even in the midst of their judgment, they still went after other gods. They would not turn back to the Lord. And I think this is exactly what Daniel, why Daniel is so saddened in heart. They have not, they're not genuinely repentant. Because genuine repentance, genuine confession always ends in a return, in a running home into the arms of their covenant-keeping God, of a merciful, merciful loving Father. But as we see all throughout Scripture, Israel has a history of rebellion, of idolatry. Even though God, they have suffered God's judgment, it has not driven them to godly grief and godly repentance. And I think that's true of a lot of us. We are hesitant to confess our sin and to return to God. We think that we must clean ourselves up first. We're too unworthy to come back to God. I don't know what it is. But confession of sin is a mark of a Christian. Listen to this quote. This is an amazing quote about the church and confession of sin. Theologian says, What distinguishes us, the church, Christians, from the world is not that we are less wicked than the world, but that by the grace of God, we have learned to see our wickedness for what it is and that we confess our sins. The church is the only body on earth that confesses sin. Where the confession of sin dies out, the church is no longer church. Are we a ministry who is okay with confessing sin? Why? Because we're confident that God's grace is greater than our own sin. One of the distinguishing markers of whether or not you have been regenerated, born again, whether or not you are God's elect, whether or not you've been saved, one of the distinguishing marks is that you loathe and hate and confess your sins regularly. See, a new heart and a new spirit will produce a new sadness over sin. Hear that? When you're given a new heart and a new spirit, it produces a new sadness over your sin. Therefore, in our prayers, we must recognize that we deserve punishment. We do for our sin. We, we've got to confess it. We recognize that God is just. And then, and then lastly, we also need to cling to his mercy. So we need to make pleas based upon God's mercy. And there's more, uh, there's a lot of points in here, but God's mercy is clear. Look at verse 18. Oh God, oh my God, incline your ear and hear, open your eyes and see our desolations and the city that is called by your name. For we do not present our pleas before you because of our righteousness, but because of your great mercy. To make a plea is to make a request, it's to make an appeal. And in this case, the only hope Daniel and God's people have for forgiveness, for cleansing, is the mercy of God. Because God would be just to punish them, or he could show mercy. And so Daniel cries out for God's mercy, and he makes requests of God. Now, when we make requests of God, what are the requests that God loves to answer? It's a good question. I would say they are requests that will end up bringing more glory to God, that protect and guard the reputation of the Lord. If you are asking for something that will not bring more glory to the Lord, that is not aligned with scripture, God's not going to answer that. (laughs) 
And Daniel knows this. And so he kind of makes an argument to the Lord to spare his people. And his argument is based upon God's glory and God's reputation. And so look at verses 15 on, and I'll try to bring this out of this argument. And I think in our prayers, we need to make appeals. We need to, we need to plea with the Lord, make requests and an argument based upon God's character, based upon his mercy for his glory. Look at verse 15 and I'll explain what I mean by this. Oh, now, O Lord, our God, who brought your people out of the land of Egypt with a mighty hand and have made a name for yourself. You did that for your namesake. We have sinned and done, and done wickedly. Verse 16, O Lord, according to all your righteous acts, let's circle every your here. According to your righteous acts, let your, your anger and your wrath turn away from your city, Jerusalem, and your holy hill. Because our sins and for the iniquities of our fathers, Jerusalem and your people. It's like Daniel is arguing, remember your, pe- your people, God, your city, your, your place that is in desolation. Will you not restore it for your glory? And he's making this argument here. Look at verse, uh, verse 16. He says, we have become a byword among all who are around us. Your name is being defamed by the Babylonian gods. Verse 17, now therefore, O our God, listen to the prayer of your servant, Don't you love me? I love you. I'm your servant. And do his pleas for mercy. And for your own sake, O Lord, make your face to shine upon your sanctuary, which is desolate. O my God, incline your ear and hear. Open your eyes and our desolations and the city that is called by your name. (laughs) I think you get the point. Look at verse 19. O Lord, hear, O Lord, forgive, O Lord, pay attention and act. Delay not. For what reason? For your own sake. When we make requests, it's for the glory of God. Lord, I pray that you would bring healing upon this person. Why? Because your glory would be known through the hospital and those nurses may come to see your glory and healing. But even if you do not, Lord, you are glorified by taking a saint home with you, right? It's for God's glory. Lord, take this sin away from me. Why? Because when I sin, I'm stealing glory from you. And don't you want to be glorified in me? Right? You make an argument. You're, you're raw. You're honest. I think we need, we could learn here from Daniel that Daniel is making an appeal. He's, he's pleading upon God's mercy. Lord, you are merciful. I know you long to save my family member, my friend. Lord, you'd be so glorified if they started worshiping you. If you save them right now, do it for your glory. Right? Praying for your glory. Praying in according to God's word for his glory. That's the aim. That's the goal. And God answers according to his mercy because we don't deserve it. But he still does it. I put the word mercy in there. I got to wrap this up. God's mercy is our only hope. How many of us pray like this? Not many. I'm in the same boat with you. But I think we could be encouraged. We could start somewhere. Okay, I'm going to adore God. I'm going to confess my sin. I'm going to recognize that God is just. 
I'm going to make my pleas according to his mercy, recognizing that it's our only hope, for we deserve, for our own sin, eternal punishment. We deserve to be exiled. But here's the catcher. Look, let's see. Look at verse 17. Look at verse 17. Now, therefore, O our God, listen to the prayer of your servant and to his pleas. For your mercy and for your own sake, O Lord, make your face to shine upon your sanctuary, which is desolate. Sin had cut off God's people from experiencing the blessing of God's face being towards them, of being in a right relationship with him. And when we are in sin, it is a breach in the relationship. If you have not repented of your sin, there's only curses for you. Cursed be everyone who does not abide. God is so holy that he can't even look upon sin, be in the presence of sin. And so your own personal sin exiles you from God. Meaning you are cut off from God's blessing. And this is what happened to Adam. This is what's happened to Israel. Now follow along with me. They are, they're cut off from God because of their sin. And it's what's true of sinners. Those who have not made a confession of faith. Those who have not confessed their sin. You're cut off from all blessing. And the only way for God to make his face to shine upon us is by perfect obedience to his law. But God, who is rich in mercy, sent his son Jesus, the word who took on flesh, to tabernacle among us, to be the sanctuary. It says, O Lord, make your face to shine upon your sanctuary. (laughs) His face... Shine upon Jesus at the Mount of Transfiguration. He transfigured. He said, behold, beloved, this is my son. Listen to him. And yet Jesus obeying perfectly was cut off from God for sinners like you and me by taking the curse that we deserved. Galatians 3.13 says, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, cursed be everyone who hangs on a tree. You see, Daniel Years later, thousands of years later, God would answer, I believe he answered his prayer here. We'll see that next week. But he answers the prayer for us. How is it that we can be made right with God by sending his son, Jesus Christ, to become the curse for us? So that we, so that God's face can shine upon us. So that we could be forgiven and cleansed. And if you recognize your own sin, and I'm walking through this confession of faith, you're like, I've never done that. I've never seen my sin. I've never confessed it like that. I've never been sorrowful for it. Well, one, you should be, because it's, it's an act a com- a committed against God. But the answer then is to quiet your heart and to pray to him and ask for forgiveness, just like Daniel, and he will answer. Look at, I closed my Bible and I did it too soon. I love this. God is not a harsh God. Look at the rest of this. It was, this is not in my notes, but it's important. Look at verses 20. While I was speaking and praying, confessing my sin and the sin of my people, Israel, and presenting my plea before the Lord my God for the holy hill of my God, while I was speaking in prayer, the man Gabriel, an angel, came to me 
whom I had seen in the vision at the first, came to me, swift flight at the time of the evening sacrifice. And he made me understand, speaking with me and saying, O Daniel, I have now come out to give you insight and understanding. At the beginning of your pleas for mercy, a word went out. God heard your prayer. And I have come to tell you, for you are greatly loved. I don't know about you, but we all long to be affirmed like that. For you are greatly loved. And the only way you could hear that same word to be received into heaven with Christ is through the blood of Jesus who died for you. And when you believe, you repent, confess your sin. You will only be met with God's grace and mercy and words like, oh, you are greatly loved by me. And you are. Confess your sin. Run to Jesus. And if you're in Christ, those are the words that you need to hear.